0: Nick Nick, 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 Nick Nick Nickelodeon from Nickelodeon Studios in Burbank California this is the Nickelodeon animation podcast Hi, I'm your host, Hector Navarro. Welcome to the podcast. My guest today is a writer, director, storyboard artist, layout artist, and animator known for creating My Life as a Teenage Robot for Nickelodeon. He also directed episodes of Dexter's Laboratory, The Powerpuff Girls, he was the story editor for My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, and he was the supervising producer on Gravity Falls. With a resume like that, it's no surprise that a following has been amassed around our guest, Mr. Rob Renzetti.
1: Look at you, right? Yeah. If you want the mic like this, you
0: you can look wherever you want, Rob. As long as you can. I'll look away. Okay, great. I don't like to make eye contact with the people I'm talking. to. I understand. (laughs) It makes a lot of sense. What was the first memory that you have of animation? What did you
1: love as a kid growing up? Well, let's see. How far should I go back? Let's go back all the way to the beginning, which is me as a young kid liking to play with paper dolls, uh, which seems kind of a strange way to start. But I would have coloring books, and Mm -hmm. I would like the pictures in the coloring books, and I would ask my mother to. Replicate the pictures in the coloring books so that I could I don't remember if I colored them before she'd cut them out or she'd cut them out and I'd color them But then I would play with them as if they were figurines And I did this so much that my mother eventually got tired of it and said (laughs) why don't you You know mimic the drawings yourself. Yeah, so that's how I started drawing. Um, As far as how that hooked into cartoons, obviously, I think that, you know, they were cartoony coloring books. And uh, eventually I started seeing cartoons on TV. When I grew up, your access to cartoons was incredibly limited. Uh, There was no cable. Yeah. (laughs) It was just whatever your local stations wanted to play. But luckily I lived in Chicago or the Chicago suburbs, and I saw Popeye. I saw the old Hanna-Barbera stuff. Occasionally I saw the 60s Felix the Cat. I saw Warner Brothers. Um, The one thing, you didn't see Disney. Disney didn't hardly ever appear. They were, like, very precious, those cartoons. Just theatrical, just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they come out every seven years, and Mm -hmm. and that would be it. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, So, I mean, I just had a love of cartoons since I was a little kid, and I started drawing uh, since I was a little kid. And I think the two just always kind of, I knew that you could make a career out of it, and I kind of always had that as my goal, even from a very young age. (laughs)
0: You went to Columbia College Chicago.
1: I did. Well, first, I, first I went to University of Illinois in downstate. University of Illinois, Champaign Urbana, and mm-hmm. I graduated after four years with an art history degree. Cool. Because despite my intention of getting in the graphic design program, I didn't get in. Uh, there were like, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah, there were like, I don't know, a hundred art. We are you were all general art majors the first year. Sure. And then everybody got. Uh, divvied up and only about everybody wanted to get into graphic design because it was the only thing that had practical had any uh, chance of making money when you are out of school instead as opposed to being a painter or whatever where it's like you know that's a real gamble so I became an art history major because I enjoyed my first year art history class sure Uh, And by the time I was done with that, I knew I didn't want to do art history. Uh, How come? Why not? It was just, I did not, it was not enjoyable. It was, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, BS in a lot of professions, but art history, art history criticism is almost entirely BS. Like, it's all just like, oh, I see this, I see that. And I knew how to do it. I did well in my classes. I could BS as well as anybody else, but I didn't really feel like doing that the rest of my life. Uh, So, my last year, actually, as I was graduating, I found out about Mm CalArts out in California, and uh, the second half of my senior year, taking The Illusion of Life, I basically made my first animated film, Wow! because I was told by somebody who I knew who had already gone to the school, hey, they like to see animated films. Mm -hmm. Um, It was shot by my roommate at the time, who was a film major on 8mm, and it it was crappy animation, first of all, but it was also a crappy filmed version (laughs) of crappy animation. (laughs) I didn't get in that year, so I... The following year, I'd found out through the same roommate that um, my, one of our old roommates, younger brothers, was going to an animation program in Chicago. Cool. And that I could get in at the last minute, so I did. Cool. Um, and that that person who was also in that anim- animation program was Genndy Tartakovsky, <laughs> um, and I had been roommates with his older brother. And we saw each other. We both coincidentally took the same uh, figure drawing class mm-hmm. at Columbia, and we recognized each other because we'd met once. Mm-hmm. And we're like, wait, aren't you Alex's brother? Yeah, weren't you his roommate? And we became friends, and we were just like inseparable. And then we went the next year. We both applied to Cal Arts again. I applied for a second time, and we both got in. And we came out to California together. What is it you guys have in common that you were able to bond? Well, I mean, we both loved animation, obviously. Yeah. And even though we were in a film program at Columbia and we, there was an animation you know, minor within the film, so I was an animation student for the first time, mm-hmm. there were other people around. The fact that we kind of pre-knew each other and also we just both had the same kind of passion for it, we would spend... Uh, we had a teacher Stan who like had a bunch of uh, like old Warner Brothers films on 16 millimeter. Cool, and he had we could watch we could like examine them frame by frame and see how they did stuff. That's amazing. Um, so we both had that kind of passion. We had other one, one other friend there, Darren, who had kind of shared our passion. The three of us kind of all we're fanatic about this kind of stuff yeah so it was really about enthusiasm and level of enthusiasm and once we got to cal arts we both knew our draftsmanship was not as good as most of the people around us sure uh and we were gonna have to work hard and we were you know we kind of have that midwest uh spirit of like <laughs> you put your nose to the grindstone and you work <laughs>
0: what was that like for you as an artist looking at other artists who I know that I've had this feeling of mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh they're blowing me away I could never do that particular right. thing were you guys just honing in on your strengths what did you feel like your strengths were what was your sort of game plan when you uh, made I don't that know decision? if I ever
1: had a game plan that would, be, <laughs> that would I could pretend that I did uh I mean, when you're looking at people, Craig McCracken was one of them. Mm-hmm. We met him at CalArts, uh, but that's just one example of people that were seemed like they were naturals. Yeah. Um, they just could draw really well um, right off the bat. A lot of those people, not Craig, but a lot of those people, because it comes easily to them, because they don't have to work at it, they kind of take it for granted, and they think because that came easily to them, the things that would follow you know, good positions on a show, yeah. You know, climbing the ladder, all that should come easily as well, right? And I've seen, you know, I've been in this industry a long time now. I've seen lots of talented people that don't do well because they think they shouldn't just need to, you know, sit back and it will all come to them. Mm-hmm. Um, now I've seen people that have worked really hard too, and they haven't gotten anywhere as well. So there's a, obviously a large element of luck yeah. and timing yes. in anyone's successful career, but because Gendy and I were not as Hard, great at drawing as everybody else around us <laughs> at that point, we knew if we're going to be even close to do well, we're going to have to work hard and we're going to work, maybe have to work harder than the people that can do well. The best thing you can do is to um, rate yourself against yourself. If you are getting better and you are improving, then you're doing what you need to do. Absolutely. Um, it's funny because now there is a generation of people that come out of school with the goal of having their own show. When Craig and Gendy and me were at CalArts in our class, that was not a goal that you had. (laughs) And we were lucky to come out at the time when it did start happening. And we were all able to eventually do it. When we were leaving CalArts, there was a, a couple of opportunities. One was connected to Hanna-Barbera. It was, I don't know if it was Turner Feature. Yeah, it was Turner Feature. Okay. Yeah. Turner Feature was the name of the people that were making a movie called um, Pagemaster. They needed a bunch of new people sure. right when my class was getting ready to graduate. So mm-hmm. they um, brought us to, um, I think it was Bruce, I can't remember, Bruce Smith, I think it was one of the lead animators on it. Yeah. They brought us to his house. They had a bunch of artwork up from uh, the movie. Movie, both in his house and in his yard, and he had this beautiful house with this professionally made tree house in the backyard. And he's wow. like, Look, I'm an animator. This is coming into <laughs> my world, and you may have this kind of uh, life yourself someday. Yeah. <laughs> and so, Pagemaster like vacuumed up most of my graduating class to be like assistants and what a cleanup sure. artist and stuff on sure. that feature. And uh, Gendy and I, and I think even Craig also had an offer uh, to do that. Mm-hmm. So, that was one thing we could do. At the same time, there's a guy named Sergio Pablos, who is a relatively famous Spanish animator and mm-hmm. uh, was one of the guys behind Despicable Me. He was in our class at CalArts. He'd come from Madrid to go to CalArts to learn. He was one of those people that could like, draw like amazing. Like, yeah. He was not only a good draftsman and could draw great characters, he could animate well, which yeah. is not always the same thing. We went away our freshman year. We came back. And after we came back, he said, "Hey, I would worked for this company over the over the summer in Madrid, mm-hmm. and this summer they want they want to see if they can get some American animators to come over, um, because they're going to have a few episodes of Batman the Animated Series, Whoa. which was being done everywhere all over the world. They yeah. were trying to get that show done as quickly as possible, so they farmed out episodes to everybody. And so Sergio Gendi and I decided instead of going to PageMaster where we would be cleaning up or maybe assistant sure. animating it the best eventually, sure. we could be animators in Spain and actually animate." <laughs> Batman, who we loved? What a great character. That's a so. pretty good pitch. I was going to say, how do you top the pitch that you described where you go to uh,
0: the house and you see the whole thing and you see Pagemaster and, you know, come and see this like la- I think that Spain is a pretty good topper. Uh, well, yeah, topper. I mean,
1: it was, a good, it was a good opportunity. It didn't turn out to be a great experience because we didn't realize that the company that we were working for was going bankrupt. Oh. Uh, and they hadn't paid their Spanish animators oh, in about no. a year. We got suspicious when we got there and we were promised, like, you'll have an apartment. Well, mm-hmm. we were living in a hotel for two months. <laughs> oh, no. Not in just a hotel, but all in one room in a hotel. Oh, Four boy. of us. And we were supposed to get X amount of dollars or pesos a month yeah. or a week and uh we every time we'd ask for our salary they'd be like well how much do you need this week yeah and they give us as little as they possibly could
0: Mentioned that you were at Hanna Barbera. Is yes. that was that the opportunity that came up? as you yes. guys went over to Hanna Barbera? Uh,
1: I went after Spain. I kind of went back to Chicago and looked my wounds for a couple of months. Sure. And then um Gendy and I both came back out to LA and Craig got hired to be the art director on this Two Stupid Dogs section. And then mm-hmm. Craig knew Gendy and I, of course. Mm-hmm. And we got hired to be storyboard artists.
0: Right. What was that like? What was the feeling like for you guys to be there and to be on some of this stuff that did you know that Hanna Barbera was sort of coming back? This was the no, mid nineties. No idea. No idea.
1: Um, Hanna <laughs> Barbera was had been done doing a lot of bad animation for a while. Um, <laughs> you know whatever Blah. there were a lot of talented people there but it yeah. kind of been they kind of had this kind of generation of people that come in there in the 70s mm-hmm. and then that was kind of it there hadn't been an influx of new blood for like sure close to 20 years sure um so when we all kind of came in we were kind of looked askance at. <laughs> to most people's credit most of the old timers they saw that we loved the craft and that we loved animation that we were doing that the shows we were doing were good yeah they embraced us pretty quickly there were always a few hand uh, holdouts that were kind of like hey you're young i don't like you that's it you can't do anything to win me over but most of the people like we found like there were a lot of veterans there had worked on classic stuff that had been there so long that they worked on the classic Hanna-Barbera stuff that's awesome Um, so it was kind of a thrill for us to be let loose in a place that had so much history and history that we admired Uh, it's funny because they initially set us up in this kind of very large office space where we're all in that together and it was right next to Fred Seibert's office yeah who was the president of the company at the time (laughs) and um Joe Barbera's office was next to his, so for some reason we had Joe Barbera, animation legend, yeah. Fred Seibert, legend to be, yeah. and then us motley crew of uh, <laughs> you know twenty year old jerks making a bunch of noise right next to the president company. Eventually they decided we shouldn't blog, we didn't blog there, <laughs> and they put us in a trailer. Like there was a trailer that was out back. I heard about this trailer, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we weren't even in a building with anybody else. <laughs> about the shorts was that a program
0: that was up and running did you get involved there as well
1: because we yeah know that i got involved did. i eventually
0: got involved but
1: um when we first arrived it wasn't it was like two stupid dogs was fred's first initiative yeah was just doing like giving a show to a young animator mm-hmm. uh you know kind of in the old school and he was very much he was very inspired by john crook felusi and mm-hmm. john kind of had his ear at that point and he told fred like this is what you gotta do you gotta find someone who's got an idea and let him make it so that's yep. what he did um and it wasn't a big success it was kind of like kind of it was put on tbs it was put on weird times mm-hmm. it was like shown in the early a.m mm-hmm. uh, never really had a chance and despite that it actually did better than expected in the ratings and that's why they did a second season cool but the shorts program craig that was kind of fred's second initiative yeah which was we're gonna do a bunch of shorts and we'll see which ones are good mm-hmm. it was kind of like the opposite of like i'm gonna gamble i'm gonna put all my money on this one gamble which was two stupid dogs, and he's like, "Okay, for my second gamble, I'm not gonna put all my money on one thing. I'm gonna put my money on a bunch of different things." Yeah, and um, that was the what a cartoon. That was Show. what a cartoon. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, Powerpuff came out of that. Yeah, Dexter came out of that. Yeah, uh, and I did a short there. Uh, it's fun, interesting because I did. We uh, Dexter's and Powerpuff were both student films of Craig and Gundy. and my student film, which eventually uh, was wasn't called Mean Account, the Account at the time, but the characters of in and Account were in my student film. Cool. And the reason I didn't jump on the shorts program right away because they like got in right away and got their short was Terry Thorne, who who was a guy who ran an animation festival, not Spike and Mike, but like the more respectable festival that goes <laughs> on here. He saw that as a student film and actually optioned it. Uh, from me, like I want to make this into a show. Mm. So when uh, Dexter, the first Dexter short came out, and the first Power short came out, I couldn't do a short yet yeah. because it was still legally tied up. So when it came back to me, I pitched it, and then that's the first, first and only short I did as part of what a cartoon. It was what a cartoon. the first Mean in the count. Short. First mean and
0: the count. Where did the idea for meeting and the count come from? And describe it for to people in case they don't remember what it was or don't know what it is. Sure.
1: Okay. The well, the short itself is about a little girl who befriends a vampire, or basically foists her friendship on a vampire. Yeah, who's, who's coming through Room by mistake, mm-hmm. thinking he, she's uh, like a, an older woman. Yes, he that he's thinks going she's going to gonna be seventeen, and yeah. instead she's uh, seven. I don't remember something like that. <laughs> she's a little girl, uh, and Igor, his assistant, has screwed up his biting schedule. Basically, he, he's supposed to bite a new girl every night because he's a playboy vampire. Uh-huh. But this girl turns out to be a little girl, and she basically forces him to play with her, and they become friends by the end of the cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> uh, where the idea came from was when I was a, when I was a kid, I was very much afraid of monsters. Yeah, uh, saw Dracula at a very young age. But for some reason, um, when I was young and having trouble getting sleep at night because I was afraid of monsters, I started conceiving of the idea that—and this was mostly—it had to do with the Frankenstein monster because I knew he had a vulnerability, like he liked kids. Yes. So I, rem- <laughs> I remember, like, well, if Frankenstein came into my room, I would just befriend him because yeah. he's a sad monster and he wants friends. <laughs> so I'll be safe— if he comes in, I'll just befriend him and we'll become friends. And I like this was something that I thought about a lot <laughs> when I got scared of the idea of monsters. Like, I would think I would get myself into this thought friend. pattern and it would soothe me and I would get to sleep.
0: My Best Friend by Nina Harper My best friend has blue skin and is around 700 years old. We met one night when he flew into my house. He can change himself into a bat and fly wherever he likes. He can also change into a puff of smoke or a wolf. That is why he is my best friend. The end.
1: Thank you, Mina. That was very... imaginative.
0: Where did the idea for... Teenage robot come from? Because the first short was My Neighbor Was a Teenage yes. Robot, right? And then it became My Life as a Teenager. Sure. Where did the idea, where did the, the conception for this
1: come from? Well, the after I lost that last mean in the count slot and mm-hmm. Fred said, I want you to come up with something else, I started brainstorming ideas. Uh, and one idea I had was a teenage girl that had a robot for a boyfriend Mm -hmm. and the idea there was that she would have all the angst and all the emotion of a teenage girl and she would be funneling into this emotionless dead (laughs) machine that didn't know, didn't have any of these feelings for her was just a pleasant robot that was happy to interact with her, but didn't really feel anything for her, but she would, she would just project all these feelings onto him and think they were in this incredibly romantic relationship. It, it kind of Pepe Le Pew vibe a little bit. Uh, kind of, yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. so, yeah. It's like a one-sided... <laughs> well, anyways, I pitched I pitched my three ideas to Fred, and yeah. I pitched that one, and uh, he said, I don't think that after you've just come off show where a little girl has a relationship with a vampire that you want to have a teenage girl have a relationship with a robot. I don't think that's <laughs> going to go over with the execs. Yeah. I'm like, oh, well, you're probably right. Um, and then um, I was just driving somewhere randomly to the supermarket or whatever and thinking mm-hmm. about the ideas and how they'd gotten rejected. And I thought, like, what if the robot was the teenage girl? Um, what if those were the same character? And then with that thought, literally, the whole storyline of the initial pilot came falling out of my head yeah like within minutes it just came out i had to stop i had to start writing stuff down on a piece of scrap of paper cool. my car and just make sure i didn't lose it um but i basically had most of it within 10 minutes that pilot like yeah. i had it all figured out like okay this is what it's going to be awesome um and as far as the title change, it was really just like the she's going to be the protagonist. You know, she's going to mm-hmm. be the star. It's going to be from her perspective, yeah, her life. Yeah. um The for the pilot was called "My Neighbor Was a Teenage Robot" just because of the way we start with the tuck, mm-hmm. kind of discovering her, and also it felt very much like a 1950s horror movie, you know, yeah. title that way.
0: What were some of the visual influences for "My Life as a Teenage Robot"?
1: The first thing was kind of upa uh cartoons uh from that era Mm -hmm. um really always loved that design sensibility and that was for the you know for the show if you look at the short the short is very anime influenced yeah uh because it was done in like 1999 and anime hadn't really hit big yet here but it was it was here um alex kerwin who helped me design the short and eventually became an art director on the show Mm -hmm. was a big fan of that kind of stuff and i was more of a mini fan but i liked that idea i like the idea of that style like um all the shorts i did as part of oh yeah cartoons i kind of tried to i never have had really like an established house style like this is what my stuff looks like Mm -hmm. there's some things you can point to but (laughs) i wanted to vary the style of the stuff i was doing so the first four shorts i did all kind of looked different me and then count had it is had its own its own look, and it was very heavily UPA-influenced as well. And then when Teenage Robot happened, if we did the pilot, it was anime. By the time the show got picked up in 2002, anime had kind of been like, everybody was doing anime-influenced stuff now. Yeah. And I didn't really want to do that. I didn't want to be, I wanted it to stand out more than that. Yeah. And, um, so, um, Along with the UPA influence, we also, you know, we uh, Alex and I both loved 1930s cartoons a lot. Yes. And that kind of rubber-hosey kind of thing. But we didn't I didn't want to do, like, just a straight, like, 30s uh, look. I wanted to take some of that, but make it a little more sophisticated than that. Mm-hmm. And really, it was... Um, the two of us working together, but especially Alex had the idea that we'll we'll look at other things from the 1930s, like 1930s poster art, Ooh, Cool. which is very it's stylized in the kind same kind of way that UPA stuff from the 50s is, and it's like flat planes of color, yeah, you know, like um, very reduced details. Things that are kind of abstracted into kind of an iconic version of themselves. So that's what we. Those were kind of our touchstones. You know, the UPA thing had been very heavy and mean in meaning and count, and that kind of we were going to still go that flat designy sensibility, but we mm-hmm. wanted to bring something else into it. And really, that was the key to unlocking the look of the show. Is that kind of looking at poster art from 1930s? Um, you can see that reflected in the BG style on the show a lot. Totally, the yeah. characters. You know, the characters are kind of a combination of kind of uh, rubber hose and. And, um, you know, 1950s flat design and with some anime, like, old-school anime influence, yeah. like, you know, from Astro Boy and stuff. Like, Alex was a huge fan of Astro Boy. I'd yeah. only seen a little bit of it, but, like, all their crazy, wacky hairdos that everybody has, that's directly <laughs> lifted from the Astro Boy that's stuff. Great. You know, everybody should have some kind of strange, iconic, yeah. weird hair <laughs> design. <laughs> it seems that some young robot has forgotten the rules of this household. You were built for one purpose, to protect the planet Earth. Unless you're out saving the world, you should stay in your room. You must avoid unnecessary contact with the human population, especially teenagers. Do I make myself clear, xj Jenny.
0: Jenny. Uh, what? Jenny! Call me Jenny! I changed my name to Jenny, remember? Up to this point in my animation career, I've been working on other people's stuff and now this is my thing. Did you have any thoughts like that or were you just kind of like great this is another great collaborative thing that I'm going to uh, undertake?
1: Well, yeah, I mean I'd wanted my own show for a, for a while. I mean, I wanted me and the count to be a show. Yeah. I wouldn't have done, you know, what amounted <laughs> to six shorts with it if I didn't think it had legs mm-hmm. one of the reasons I left Hanna Barbera's when Fred was trying to lure me he said I want to make Mina in the count as a show I think it could be a great show mm-hmm. it actually was up to be the middle show on Dexter at one point but it didn't it didn't it didn't happen and yeah. instead they did the Justice Friends so I was very I would have been very happy if it had been a middle show on Dexter but that didn't happen yeah so Fred kind of lured me over here with the idea of like that would be my show so like I had the idea in my head that I wanted my own show for a long time but Mina didn't work out Teenage Robot did I was glad because I was like, well, there's lots of legs to this. There's legs to this idea. This is, can be a show as well. This yeah. is like probably the fr- next thing that I did as a short that I was like, yeah, this is really a show. There's yeah. enough here to dig into. Um, As far as like, uh, you know, it's very overwhelming. Once you get your first show, you're like, okay, how the hell am I going to do it? <laughs> uh, you know, so luckily, like I said, Alex was kind of like, I knew Alex was going to be my art director. I, I hope he'd be my art director. I hope he'd say yes. But mm-hmm. like there was nobody else I had in mind for my art director, um, and like he was the first person I hired, and we talked. You know, we got into development and started working on it right away. So from right away, it was very collaborative. Again, Alex is a much better draftsman, a much better artist than I am, and I didn't. I wanted him to be in charge of the way the show looked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we came up with the look together, but like I give him the lion's share of the credit of like actually being able to execute how we wanted it to look. Yeah. Um, and uh, two other key players I should mention on the show. Are Joseph Holt, who was my lead BG designer, mm-hmm. and uh, Sana Hong, who was my lead BG painter. Those two that actually actually executed what we wanted to do in terms of the background styling yeah. and all that so it was of course it was collaborative from the from the get-go but as the creator of the show you are swallowed by your show you know what I mean <laughs> it swallows your life there was a good two-year period where I was working seven days a week uh, with maybe you know I'd take off holidays sure um, I'd take off Christmas maybe take off a couple <laughs> of days of Christmas um, yeah. that was it you know I was here all the time and luckily for me um, I had been married for a while, <laughs> so that's stable. Uh, you know, right? like yeah. <laughs> we were happy together, and my wife knew what this was going to take, yeah. and you know she, she put up with it for you know the run <laughs> of the show. Um, yeah. it got better. You know, eventually I wasn't working that much, but the hardest thing about a show when you start it is that it's only in your head. Um, And no matter how much you talk about it, no matter how many Bible pages you write, Mm -hmm. or how many drawings you do of the characters that are cute, until you start executing and do episodes and actually get episodes completed, Mm -hmm. it's very hard for anybody else to see what it's supposed to be. Um, Now, I was lucky because I had Alex, and then you know Alex really, I was lucky. I had one other person that was on the same wavelength of me, and he knew what I wanted the show to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but only really I knew what I sh- wanted the show to be like in terms of the sensibility and the humor and the pacing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and eventually I assembled a team where they could look back at episodes that were done and say, okay, that's what we're shooting for. But when you first get it, when you first you know, first have it, it's like it's just in your head. Yeah. Um, and nobody else knows what it's going to be like. And every time a little bit comes out that's un- incomplete, it's just an opportunity for people to go mm, I don't think that's going to be good and you're like, no, no, it'll be good yeah <laughs> let me you know let me get it finished yeah. before you judge it. <laughs> Um, especially on my show, there was always at least one action sequence which was like didn't have a lot of dialogue. Sure, and you know the work prints would come back from overseas, and the execs would be kind of like flummoxed about that because they'd be like, "I don't know, this part seems really dead." I'm like, "That's because there's no dialogue, yeah, and the music and sound effects haven't been put in yet." Exactly. And eventually, once I got a f- the first few episodes completed, the execs were like, "Hey, you know what? The show's r- really good. It works." And yeah. I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm glad. I'm glad you can see it now. But yes, that's what we always intended for it to be good. We didn't intend for it to be slow and have sections that were quiet and boring. But yeah, it's it's that's the hardest part is just mm-hmm. birthing it from your mind into the world. You say you, if you gave me were given more time, it could be better, which is probably the case to a certain extent. But eventually, like you get too much time, then you're just wallowing in indecisiveness. Exactly. Um, you need schedules and pressure to get it yeah. done but you then, never finish you walk away you never finish yeah exactly yeah. it's just you just had one point <laughs> it's like okay it's it's already a week overdue i got to get it out the door <laughs> what
0: has the response been like to see people who come up and go i loved my life as a teenage rebel. well i mean yeah. it's,
1: it's very gratifying you know now that's 10 years later that yeah. there's a lot of people that are old enough people that i work with that are old you know old enough now to be like i grew up with your show i loved yeah. it um and that's great it's great to hear that um <laughs> Uh, it's funny because when our show was coming out, um, the internet was just kind of blossoming and we did, we had a show blog mm-hmm. called the teenage road blog that we kept up for the run of the show That's and a people great name. really, uh, <laughs> people appreciated it. You know, I would read a little bit of fan feedback, but I tried to keep away from too much of that because I didn't want to. It's interesting because I think the feeling now is very much opposite, um, that they were interested in fan feedback and they allowed to influence themselves, but I didn't really want to influence what I was doing with the show. One, I didn't want to have people say, your show sucks, change it, or, (laughs) you know, I love this, do this all the time. I didn't want that, however much I might resist it, to permeate my thinking. Sure. i didn't look at a lot of fan feedback and i didn't look at any fan fiction i never wanted to be accused of stealing a story from a fan right um and i still haven't really looked at a lot of fan fiction <laughs> The shows over with but it's interesting to see since it's been over the you know there still is a uh, you know a, a rabid uh, core of fans that still are interested in the show yeah there's a group of fans that are trying to get fan made episodes done really uh yeah that's incredible yes so that's happening um i (laughs) check on them every once in a while it's very slow going but they're supposedly writing episodes and recording voices and whatever so it's an interesting uh thing that i wouldn't have predicted happening
0: (laughs) you also worked on my little pony friendship is magic Mm -hmm. where were you when you first heard the word brony
1: I was already off the show. Oh, there was really? kind of a delayed response. Well, you know, uh, that show was made very quickly. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and you were the story editor for the first two seasons. I was story editor yep. for the first two seasons, which was 52 half hours. Yeah. Um, it was basically a full run of a sh- of a normal show. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I was the story editor for the first two seasons. Um, I guess you could say I was maybe the first brony. Um, you know, Lauren <laughs> approached me and uh, told me about the show. And all I had seen is the very crappy stuff that had been done with My Little Pony before that. But she told me what she wanted to do, and I was really sold on her concept of the characters and Mm -hmm. very excited about the idea of six lead female characters that were all distinctive and different and not just the girl. So it was really exciting. I was really uh, happy to be a part of it. And, uh, And then it kind of started to pick up after Lauren and I left she didn't want to do the show anymore and Mm -hmm. i wasn't going to do it without her so i left and and moved to disney Mm -hmm. um and then kind of that phenomenon kind of really started taking off there were rumblings of it but not much when you were we're when
0: you're at disney and you're looking over and you're seeing that fan what was your take on it what did you think of that
1: i mean it was really (laughs) flabbergasting i don't know it wasn't something we expected i thought we'd always have adult fans of the show because we weren't trying to write it down to little kids we're writing it for ourselves PG-rated stuff that mm-hmm. we thought was funny. So I thought, well, you know, any th- show that we've made and that I've made, I hope has always had adult fans when it's come out, not just yes. kids that watch it now are still fans as adults. Um, so I thought we'd have an adult fans. I just didn't think we'd have the brony phenomenon. Yeah. But I could not see <laughs> that coming. So let's talk about seeing the response to Gravity Falls. Has that been a gratifying experience? Oh, been, it's been really gratifying. I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to work on Gravity Falls is that because... Up until that point, I'd never been on a show where we were allowed to do continuity. I tried to get a little bit in, a very little bit in. Yeah. And there's a little bit in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What do you think changed? What do you think changed? in anime, Animation, anime changed, wow. and the 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 way anime kind of permeated our culture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, continuity is king in anime. I mean, most mm-hmm. of those shows all have go are going somewhere. Yeah, they have a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, and there's a great generation of kids that not only grew up liking that, but expecting that. So that was a real big allure um, for me, mm-hmm. and the idea that we just did a little bit of that—very uh, the kind of a minimal—in season one, yeah—and fans hooked into it like that. By this point, like looking at fan response is kind of like that's what you do. You just see what the fans are thinking of yep. it. So, from day one, we were looking at fan response and seeing how they are responding to things, and knowing that like okay, they really are loving the mystery, the big mystery that is embedded in the show. They love that. Anytime we give them any of those breadcrumbs, yeah, they just eat it up. Yeah, they're just <laughs> so hungry, and they're like extrapolating and making like it's going to go this way. It's got everybody had a million theories like well, what's going to happen, how's it going to end, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, um. It's really gratifying to see that that's a thing that you can do and that people respond to um mm-hmm. some fans from the hint the little hints that we had dropped in season one there was a there was some fan online that had basically figured the whole thing out wow um. And we were like, "What are we gonna do?" Yeah. Like, I didn't. We, none of us wanted to do the lost thing, where it, uh, purportedly, like, people figured out the ending, so they had to change it up and make mm-hmm. it crappier because they were <laughs> people knew what they were gonna do. So, what Alex came up with is, we all decided to fake an image. Um, of McGucket, who's this old hillbilly character in the show, being the author of the journal. Yeah. Like we drew an image of him writing in the journal, we <laughs> you put it, jerks. We, we like finished, like we did this all in like a couple of days and this is Alex Hirsch's idea. This is why he's brilliant. Cause he just was, he knew how to, he knew how to play the fans like a Stradivarius. Um, yeah. So we put it up on the screen in our editor's bay, Mm -hmm. and I took my iPhone, like, from the hallway Mm -hmm. and took a photo of it, like, took a few different photos of it, and then Alex took the best one Mm -hmm. that looked the most kind of, like, caught by somebody when they shouldn't be looking, seeing it, Yeah, and threw it up (laughs) on the internet and then took it down and then tweeted about, like, how he was so upset right now, vaguely, (laughs) and then it became this just thing, like, oh, my God, did you see this? Blah, blah, blah. And it was enough to, like, hey look over here that nobody picked up on the person that had figured out the whole goddamn show <laughs> rob is there anything
0: that you haven't had a chance to work on yet that is like a dream project of yours, something that you'd love to do uh
1: i mean i would like to eventually maybe work in features um, Yeah, but um that hasn't happened briefly um before Gendy worked on a popeye movie craig mm-hmm. and i were working on a popeye movie at cool. sony um but that didn't go anywhere (laughs) yeah just like Gendy's didn't go anywhere Mm -hmm. um like I said Popeye's my favorite character and working on a feature about Popeye would be a dream come true but I don't know that they're ever going to get that off the ground I don't know if I really I think Gendy would have done a great job with it yeah and the little test that he did was fantastic we've seen
0: it so great yeah so great but um
1: I don't know that they know what they've got there or that they want to do it right I know. I think it's
0: time for Popeye to come back
1: I I love Popeye
0: yeah Love Popeye. Was it about Popeye that you love so much?
1: Well, I was a wimpy little kid. And I would be f- afraid of confronting anyone physically. So the idea that this weird-looking sailor, you know, could beat up anybody with his magical can of spinach yeah. was, was a real fantasy for me. Um, did you I, down? No, a lot I did of not. No, I never touched spinach. No. I was. A, I hated all vegetables as a kid. The only vegetable I ate was corn. I took no lessons from Popeye, no matter how much I admired him. I guess it didn't work. I guess the lessons. Well, you didn't know, work. I don't know. I never tried it. I've eaten spinach as an adult. I don't think it has those effects. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, as a kid, I did not take that lesson
0: to heart. That's so funny. That's great. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Sure, it was was a pleasure. This was fantastic. It was a
1: pleasure talking with you. Well, there it
0: is, everybody. Our conversation with Mr. Rob Renzetti. I'm a long time fan, guys. Thank you so much for continuing to like and share the podcast. If you want, wherever you're getting your podcast from, go ahead and leave a review because it helps us out. Also, don't forget to go to NickAnimationPodcast.com for a bunch of cool, awesome extra behind the scenes stuff, including some material from my life as a teenage robot. Thanks to the awesome crew who puts this podcast together. This podcast is produced by Jonathan Highlander, Dana Vasquez-Eberhardt, Kelly Smith, Andrew Hubner. Original music by Useful. Crew creatures this week's episode edited by josh caldwell jonathan highlander all of the incredible social media for our podcast is made by Narve manassians sammy Armager, david watson and thanks to the man who works at controls and makes me sound better than i have a right to manny Gralva until next time thanks for listening to the nickelodeon animation podcast and keep watching cartoons